Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome for a second time a very senior and respected corporate leader, a prolific author from Mumbai, India, Mr. R. Gopalakrishnan. Gopal, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Ashutosh, pleasure to be Thank on your you. show again. Thank you. Um, Mr. Gopalakrishnan is an author of a book titled Inside the Boardroom, How Behavior Trumps Rationality. And you can see the book on just behind his right shoulder. He's the chief executive officer of the Mindworks. He's the former vice chairman of Hindustan Unilever Limited. He's the director of Tata Sons, chairman of Castrol India, and a director of the Press Trust of India. So, Gopal, let's start talking about the book, uh, Inside the Boardroom, How Behavior Trumps Rationality. And before I ask you my first question, I'm going to ask all my viewers and listeners to go and check out Mr. R. Gopalakrishnan's book on Amazon and any other uh, platform that you use. So my first question is, tell me a little bit about your book and what was your hypothesis when you wrote it, given the fact that you've sat inside the boardroom for many, many decades? Well, you know, to be honest, uh, yes, you are right. I've been sitting on boards for 37 years, at least 25 different boards in four different countries, Correct. largely in India, listed, unlisted, chairman, non-executive, all that stuff. Mm. And I'm at a reflective stage of my life. Mm. And, you know, when you're reflecting, you can see your flaws and your Correct. strengths as well. Mm. And it struck me that in spite of corporate governance having made very rapid progress globally, Mm. And certainly in yeah. India, mm. over the last 30 years, these scams keep coming out. And there's a common characteristic of all these scams mm. that in hindsight, people know that the, some warning signals were coming, but people ignored it. Mm. I mean, even in a non-corporate situation like the Hamas in Israel now, mm. data is coming that Israel had advanced information. Correct. So the problem of the human dilemma, what to do with advanced signals, mm -hmm. caught my eye. Mm -hmm. But in the context of the platform of the boardroom, because that's my, my calling. Mm -hmm. And that's what prompted me to gather my thoughts together. Mm -hmm. And with a co-author called Dr. Tulsi Jayakumar, who's an academic and mm -hmm. who can provide a little uh, academic basis of the human biases and so on. Mm -hmm. We co-authored this book, Inside the Boardroom, mm -hmm. Why Behavior Trumps Rationality. Very interesting. And, you know, you discuss the influence of power and authority in the boardroom behavior. My question is, how can boards mitigate the negative effects of these factors? You know, it's like saying uh, some children in who are raised in metro cities go all right. Hmm. Uh, how can a parent uh, mitigate it? Can't, can't avoid it. Hmm. Uh, getting to drugs and other habits. Hmm. Well, you just got to be by doing by being alert. Hmm. Because so long as human beings exist from the time of Julius Caesar uh, and Duryodhana, uh, you know, power has gone to people's Absolutely. heads and they behave aberrantly. Hmm. So to wish it away is uh, nonsense. But to understand the early warning signals, I've called them in the book prodromal signals. Hmm. Prodromal means before the event. Okay. And how do you interpret those signals? Because merely mm. because you read a signal, you can't uh, jump off and go to the Supreme Court. Mm. 
uh, how do you interpret those signals and deal with it? Hmm. And that's how you can mitigate the symptoms of power. Very interesting. Very interesting. And, you know, I mean, I've served on many, many boards, not as much as you have, but I'd love to get your perspective on what are some common biases that directors tend to exhibit in the boardroom and how can some of these biases be addressed? That's a very good question. In fact, my co-author, Dr. Tulsi Jay Kumar, is a bit of an expert on the subject because okay. she's a student of behavioral economics. Hmm. But uh, she has pointed out in the book and she says it with a great deal of uh, flourish hmm. that there are several biases. But the definition of a bias is you have the bias, but you don't know you have it. Hmm. Well said. In fact, I've read a paper recently which says that 95% plus of our decisions are taken with biases but unconscious biases. Mm. I mean, it, something that's conscious is no more a bias. It's rationality. Mm. Or so we pretend. Mm. <laughs> for example, a deference to age. Right. For example, deference to power, seniority. For example, uh, deference to groupthink. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the last person when the view is going around the table, eight guys before me have said this is a fantastic proposal. Mm. I get automatically biased to saying the same thing. Right. Maybe I would add a little twist to it. So mm. there's authority bias, there is seniority bias, there is age group bias. There are probably the number of biases are very many. Our book covers about half a dozen of them. Mm. And would you add a gender bias to that as well? Oh, yes, certainly. You, I mean, you can add gender bias, you can add caste bias. As I said, there's probably a hundred biases. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, it, it works on us insidiously and mm. invidiously. Mm. Uh, and by definition, we are not even aware of it. Mm. But when it's pointed out, we will dispute it hotly. Mm. Very interesting. And how can you talk a little bit about the importance of ethics in corporate governance, as you speak about in your book? You know, the subject of ethics is a fascinating subject. Yeah. Uh, in so far as the Western <laughs> view of ethics and the Asian view, but I would certainly say Indian view of ethics are quite different. Mm -hmm. uh, the Western view of ethics probably arises out of Greek philosophy and theology. Yeah. Where there is good and there's bad, right and there's wrong, and there's a very thin line dividing it. Mm. That's the way which has fashioned their thinking. Mm. Uh, Indian philosophy, as you know mm. perfectly well, says well, everything is ambiguous. Mm. There's a thin sliver at the two ends of the circle, right. which is clearly right and clearly wrong. Right. And everything else in between is a miasma mm. a, you know, of uh, depends on situation. Mm. And that is guiding our research approach to ethics, Indian. And therefore, it is not uncommon for somebody in the West to think that Indians are dodgy, they don't sort of uh, mm -hmm. uh, make up their mind and they are birds of uh, passage. Mm -hmm. And conversely, for Indian managers to think of their Western counterparts mm -hmm. as the inability to deal with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And ethics is in the field of ambiguity, just like an investment decision, a forecast of the future are all in the realm of ambiguity. Hmm. So my view of ethics is it has a very strong cultural bias or cultural rooting, and you can't run away from it. Hmm. Great response. Thank you. 
My next question is that, do you see any relationship between corporate governance and corporate performance? It's only an anecdotal mm -hmm. uh, connection I can Absolutely. make. Okay. Corporate governance is like the steering wheel of a Ferrari car. Mm -hmm. Without it, the Ferrari car can go off in a rogue way. Absolutely. But with it, it doesn't assure that you'll win the race. Mm. Well said. If the definition of winning the race is being first. Mm. But with it, it will ensure that you do complete a decent race. Mm. So applying this to a company, I think good corporate governance doesn't assure you you'll be number one in your industry, mm. the most profitable, etc. Mm. But good corporate governance will ensure you don't fly off the handle. Mm. To that extent, I do see a correlation. Mm. I am obviously carrying a bias of having worked in a Lieber and a Tata. Mm -hmm. And uh, the image of Levers and Tata is probably outside world. <laughs> Large, careful, bureaucratic uh, organizations. Mm -hmm. But my internal image is that there are Ferrari engines mm with a very good steering wheel and gearbox. Mm. So that's, uh, uh, my, my, my connection is very strong. Well said. Well In said. fact, yeah. one of the problems, I think, of our startup world, mm. uh, certainly in India and perhaps in America also, as Chad GPT is now showing, mm. is that you think Ferrari engines get you to the end of the race mm. without a steering wheel mm. or a gearbox. Mm. That's not true. Mm. In fact, you've, you've almost taken my next question, uh, you know, when you spoke of startups, because I was going to ask you, you know, I'm sure you've invested in startups. I'm sure you advise startups. What are some of the governance challenges a lot of startup entrepreneurs face? I really think startup, I wrote uh, two or three books with startups in my mind. One is a yes. book called uh, The Biology of Innovations. Hmm. Uh, another one I think is called Wisdom for Startups from Grownups. Hmm. Uh, and my view is that startups, I'm making a general statement, there are exceptions always, mm. uh, work on a, a few sort of popular hypotheses. Mm. That is the idea that matters and the execution will follow. Right. <clears throat> the truth is that in my biology of innovations, mm. an idea is like a fetus in the womb. Mm. And to declare that that fetus will get the Nobel Prize after 50 years is a bit dumb. Absolutely. Mm. Right? There's a hell of a lot of things to happen before that fetus becomes an infant, an infant becomes a child, a child becomes an adolescent, and so on and so forth. Yeah. 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 And that's where governance comes in. Mm. Creativity without discipline is hopeless. Mm. Discipline without creativity is equally hopeless. Mm. You must have creativity and discipline. Well said. Well said. All, all that you can do is to say, does the creativity form the outer layer of the emulsion? Hmm. You're also an engineer, isn't it? Of yesteryear? No, no, I'm not an engineer. But, you know, if you look at uh, butter hmm. and mayonnaise, they're two different products. Hmm. Butter is an emulsion of water which is inside and fat which is outside. Correct. Or oil. Hmm. Uh, uh, mayonnaise is an emulsion where the water is outside mm. and the butter is inside, the oil mm. is inside. Mm. So they're both emulsions structurally. Mm. 
but uh, you would not use butter in the place of mayonnaise and all the and other way around. Yeah. So they they work differently. Mm. So I always say Western music when you go to a opera or an orchestra, mm. its outer layer is discipline. Mm. Inner layer is creativity. Correct. Correct. Go to an Indian Indian classical music. Mm. The outer layer is informality and creativity. The inner layer is discipline. Correct. So we would always say you cannot get creativity without riyas. Mm. In their case, riyas is the show. The right. inside is the... So, you know, there are differences. Great example. Great example. And given the amount of, uh, you know, availability of technology and all boards being confronted with the digital age, do you see corporate governance beginning to change uh, because of the digital age? Oh, no doubt about it. Because uh, what corporate governance has, firstly, it's a young subject, it's only 30 years old. Mm. And um, it has matured quite well mm. in 30 years. But it is assaulted by mm. the very rapid progress of technology. Mm. Now, what happens to us is we all get into a mental ra-ra-ra mm. about the pace of technological change. Mm. Very subtly ignoring inadvertently that our tools to cope with the change are also increasing rapidly. Mm. It is the gap that matters. So if you can think of technology exponentially increasing, our tools to cope with it are also increasing. Mm. The tools that I have, my grandfather didn't have. Correct. <clears throat> it's the gap that matters. Mm. And I think the gap is constant. Mm. My grandfather and my father, I'm convinced, found life as unpredictable and uncertain as I am finding it, or my son or grandson will see Absolutely. in their life. Absolutely. So technology is impacting uh, artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. but uh, the key value that a director adds on a board is not a background, a functional background, like being a top-class accountant or lawyer. Mm -hmm. If he is, that's fine. That's mm -hmm. not a disqualification. Yeah. yeah. But according to me, it's not a qualification. Mm -hmm. The true qualification of being appointed as a director, which is not a sinecure job for retired uh, executives and bureaucrats, which mm. unfortunately is the way it sometimes comes in, yeah. is have they shown demonstrated ability to apply their judgment? Mm. Judgment by definition is the capacity to think through in ambiguity with a certain amount of certitude. Mm. That is judgment. Well said. Well said, well said. And your response gives me an interesting segue to my next question, which is how can directors remain accountable to shareholders while making critical decisions? Well, first of all, directors have to, one of the thrusts of our book is that the directors are hired for judgment, not for sinecure jobs. Absolutely. The second thing that we have said in our book is that uh, you are accountable to a number of people of whom the shareholder is only one. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would go one step further and say shareholder comes third or fourth. Yeah. You know, community and so on come before that. But mm -hmm. uh, we won't get into that. That's a sidetrack. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, Darbari Seth, you know, who used to be the yeah. chairman of uh, Tata Chemicals, mm -hmm. used to tell me, he said, we ask only three questions. Is it good for India? Mm -hmm. Is it good for Tata Group? Is this decision good for Tata Chemicals? Mm. If we get a ticket in, in that sequence, 
And if you get a tick on all the three, then uh, we explore the project with uh, more uh, aggression. Mm. And in fact, he had this put up in a, in Mitapur in Tata Chemicals, there is something called a dream room, mm -hmm. where it's like an archival place. Darbari says this statement has been put up. Wow. And that's how directors... Uh, mm. Mm. And the follow-up question for you on that is that how can directors strike a balance between strategic decision-making and compliance and regulations? I think directors should not balance. Balance is the wrong word. It almost gives the impression you can go either way like a okay. seesaw. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I prefer the word. Directors must be clear in their mind that mm. they are hired into that job not for efficiency but for effectiveness. Mm. And they must think about what is the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. Mm. You see, managements, you've been a manager, I've been a manager. <laughs> we are paid our salary mm. to be efficient. Mm. You are paid your salary and appreciated and applauded for exacting the maximum amount of output from a limited amount of resource. Mm. That's efficiency. Mm. Effectiveness can be inefficient. Mm. It, effectiveness and efficiency are not uh, directly correlated. For example, mm. <laughs> if you're skiing down a mountain, mm. you don't go in a straight line. That's mm. e that's efficient. Yeah. But you'll go around like this. Yeah. If you see how the blood is flowing in your veins, it is not flowing in a straight line. It is going in waves. Mm. So nature illustrates to you mm. that to be effective mm. is different from being efficient. Mm. And whereas managements are striving to be efficient, boards are striving to be effective. Mm. And it is in that cauldron that good decisions are made. Fascinating. <laughs> the oh. next question, Gopal, I have is on culture. You know, given the huge diversity of culture in our country and a lot of our boards are culturally very, very diverse, how have you noticed governance changing based on culture? I don't know if, uh, although our, there are micro-cultures within mm. India, at least the people I meet in boardrooms uh, are coming from a, if I may use the word, anglicized, westernized concept of management and enterprise. Right. I mean, I've never seen a, a Swamiji or somebody sitting at a boardroom. Mm. I have not had that certain experience. It's possible if you went to Patanjali Ayurvedic, mm. you may find mm. such a situation. <laughs> so, I think there is a irritating term that I've heard, a normalized Indian culture. Mm -hmm. You know, like a mixed vegetable curry is a vegetable by itself. It's not <laughs> yes. cauliflower or bengal. Yeah. Mm. And that's the culture you see in boardrooms. Mm. But deep within, the microculture does mm. come into play. Mm. I didn't, and I've seen foreigners finding it difficult to adapt to this, mm. but not Indians with Indians. Okay. But here is a uh, additional comment. Uh, we all think we have an open mind. Mm. You know, if you ask anybody, have you got a closed mind? Have you ever met anybody who said yes? <laughs> right. And what happens to directors is there are mm. some directors who will feel that they should go through all the board papers with mm. a pencil in their hand, marking all the columns mm. and are getting their questions ready. Mm. As soon as the subject is presented, they jump in. Mm. And almost like an auditor, they go through mm. question one, question two, question three. Right. Because they've come with a mind which is 
determined to ask those questions. Mm. In the process, uh, biases like I'm showing I'm efficient, I've done my homework, I've read my papers, all that stuff come into play. Mm. My uh, experience has been those who make the most significant contributions are those mm. who have gone through the papers. Mm. They may or may not have marked the column that is not to be applauded or rejected. Mm. But people are saying, I wonder what else there is in this that is not in the paper. Right. And who come in with an open mind rather than somebody who's come in with, if my five questions are answered, this is a fantastic proposal mm. or if these five are not answered, it's a terrible proposal. Mm. So, directors who have a binary mindset tend to be less effective mm. than those who have a little 360 degrees or 280 degrees or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Great response. So, time for two more questions. <laughs> My next question is that there's a lot of discussions going on all over the world on the future of work. My question is, how do you see the future of corporate governance evolving in the light of so many behavioral insights that you've shared and the fact that, you know, there are so many different types of work on hybrid and so on and so forth? I frankly think that... Uh... In the world of AI and large language models, we are mm. getting a bit seduced by the technology. Right. And it takes me back to 55 years ago when I began my career. Mm. When uh, what to my eyes were dodgering old guys mm. in their 50s yeah. who were sitting with carbon paper and double full scap sheets. <laughs> yes. Uh, terrified as to what computers might do to them. Mm. And that's been the sequence of technology and business and management for a mm. long time. Mm. Uh, I think because these are created by humans, we should never forget that there is something called HI, mm. human intelligence, yeah. or natural intelligence, if you must, mm. which ultimately draws the... Uh, that doesn't prevent disasters from happening. Mm. But human intelligence and what STEM does not teach you Hmm. But humanities does, you know, compassion, humanity, and those sorts of factors all come into play. Hmm. So if you take work from home, for example, hmm. we know from whatever experience you and I have had that uh, socialization of people is an important part of work effectiveness. Absolutely. And if you just do work from home, you'll become like a bricklayer who comes in in the morning, lays bricks, collects his 500 rupees and goes away for the day yeah. and forgets about next day may not turn up. Mm. You cannot create great enterprises with that. Mm. But conversely, we also know that having a commute which takes you one and a half hours from Thane to mm. Churchgate mm. and getting absolutely drained out by the time you reach work mm. and the converse for the return journey. Yeah. It's also not. And there is a hybrid. And I think, like we are doing right now, you and I, uh, I've never met you physically. Mm. We're having a reasonable, Absolute conversation, say, trust, yeah. trusting and uh, hopefully enlightened conversation. Absolutely. Your readers, your listeners will figure that out. Yeah. By, by using work from home. Fascinating. Fascinating. And my last question to you, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation, see our conversation. How can viewers, listeners, readers who are not board members benefit from the knowledge of the insights of your book inside the boardroom? Well, they can listen to this podcast. Yes. I mean, you know, <laughs> you have book launches, podcasts, 
video interviews, uh, uh, summaries, book reviews. There are multiple ways. Uh, just like uh, you don't have to, to go back to uh, your old company in ITC. You mm. don't have to smoke 50 cigarettes a day from five different brands Correct. to keep track of your brand and kill yourself in the process. Absolutely. There are many ways you can get feedback. I mm. think the message that I have through my book, mm. I just want to clarify this, is not about the boardroom. Mm. It is about human behavior. Human beings. Yeah. And just like if you ran a podcast on leadership, you might invite a general from the army who will always contextualize it to his experiences so it will have some guns and mm. tanks and you know warfare and strategy mm. uh, as examples. I happen to have my rangmach has been the boardroom. Mm. But the lessons are the same. Authority, even in a family, mm. in a family managed business, I've been talking a lot to family managed businesses mm. saying it's not that these boardrooms are only in the five-star companies where people wear jackets and ties. Uh, it also happens in your family. It happens within your family in non-business matters as well. Mm. So the lessons that we have here to look, when a mother is raising a child, she is doing exactly that, looking for prodromal signals. If the child is an adolescent and suddenly behaves in an aberrant way, mm. marks are coming down or whatever, I think the mother does something about it. She doesn't ignore it. Yeah. Why should we not do the same thing in boardrooms? Mm. That's my question. Very well said. Very well said. And on that note, Gopal, and your incredible insights from your book on boardrooms, on governance, and about human beings, as you said very correctly. Thank you so much for speaking to me and sharing all these insights with me for my viewers and listeners. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you, Astosh. Always a pleasure to share thoughts with you and through you with your viewers. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.